0: Amen. Our kids can head back to be with our team in Transformation Station, and I would like to welcome all of you uh, to Redemption Hill Church. My name is Tanner Turley. I serve as one of our pastors here, and uh, as Micah mentioned, we're going to be in the book of Acts today. We're going to focus in on Acts chapter 20. If you want to turn there, uh, it's page 929, the Bibles we provided for you. Amen. It's hard to sing about what Christ has done for us and not get a little bit excited about that, right? Uh, So, man, I'm so thankful for Micah and the team reminding us of the truth of the gospel and song. It's good to fill our minds and hearts with that this morning. Well, after my uh, first year of graduate studies, I was able to take a trip with one of my professors and about 10 of my classmates to The country of Ecuador. And our team served in the city of Guayaquil, all right? It's the largest city on the the Pacific uh, Ocean there. It's the largest city in Ecuador. And we had the opportunity to serve in a variety of ways. We connected with missionaries there, local church leaders. There was a a gentleman uh, who I'll never forget, his name was Jose. He ran an NGO that was truly caring for the least of these the lame, the crippled, the blind, the deaf, uh, the diseased. He welcomed them. He was a doctor. He, he had given up his profession. He welcomed them into his home to serve and care for them. And you just pray, God, provide for their needs, provide for our needs, provide food that will help uh, take care of these people. It was awesome to see uh, firsthand what God was doing there. And then one night, a group of about four of us, plus our professor, we were able to go into this house church in one of the poor areas of an already poor city. And I can remember uh, sitting there. uh, They had transformed their their home basically into a a space of worship. And so they placed these plastic chairs against the cinder block uh, walls in their home. And I can remember, though I didn't uh, understand most of what they were speaking in Spanish, okay, unfortunately my, my Spanish wasn't that sharp, uh, but, but I can remember being struck by the sincerity of the worship that was happening there that evening. And so I can remember, I'll never forget, when we left their, their home that night of worship, and we were saying our goodbyes, and we were thanking them for uh, welcoming us into their home, uh, before we were about to step into our 15-passenger van, two of the, the brothers said, hey, hang on just a second. We want you to stay right here. Okay, they said that in Spanish. And, and so instead of getting onto the van, we just waited there, and they literally ran down the street. Two or three minutes later, they came back with these packages in their arms that looked like picture frames. And they had four picture frames, one one for each of us uh, students, and, and they just were so thankful that we had come to worship with them that they gave us this gift. Now, obviously, we were humbled by that. But it wasn't until we got in the van and we drove away and our professor said, hey, guys, I don't think you realize what just happened here. These two men gave you these gifts, and it probably amounts to about a month or two of their income." And they just gave you a precious gift. And so you can imagine that, that rocked our world just just a little bit. We we drove away and in here we are these, you know, kind of rich Americans who learned an invaluable lesson in generosity from our poorer. Brothers in Ecuador. Now, now let's, let's catch those words uh, very carefully. What we discovered there is that those who were really rich were not the ones that were wearing the Nike shoes and had the dollar bills in their wallets. We saw that those who had little were actually loaded in the sight of God with generosity toward him and toward those they came in contact with. Have you ever been changed by the power of someone serving you? This is what life was like in the early church. They were a serving people. The, the book of Acts is really a book about service. They went from Jerusalem to the surrounding regions all the way across Asia Minor into Europe, and they served people the word of God, and they served and helped meet practical and physical needs wherever they went. Now, last week, we looked at what it meant to live life together as a church by, by living with a we-we. Over me mindset. Today we're going to think about what it means to serve together with a we over me mindset mindset. Now, to, to catch you up on what's happening in the book of Acts, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, I said we're going to work through the book of Acts in two weeks and said, I don't know how we're going to do it. Well, this is my attempt right here. Okay, so hang on. Bucker your seat belts. It won't take very long. All right, what, what happens is the gospel uh, started to be uh, proclaimed in Jerusalem. The earliest followers of Christ were talking a lot about his death and resurrection and how because he has been raised from the dead and has life over sin, Satan, and death, that we, whoever believes in him, can also have life over sin, Satan, and death. And so this message was being proclaimed from Jerusalem, but it didn't take long. We see in Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8 that, that a man named Stephen, one of the earliest servants in the church, was proclaiming Christ, and that he was agitating the religious leaders who didn't believe in Jesus, and so they actually put Stephen to death, and he was the first martyr in the church, And so then in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 1, it says this there arose on that day, speaking of the day of Stephen's uh, death, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now, don't, don't you just love that, right? Did you catch that? So, so there is opposition against the church, persecution against the earliest followers of Jesus. And God just says, okay, I'm going to use that to fulfill the plan that I talked about in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that I said, look, my followers are going to receive power from me, uh, from the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. And he's going to empower you to be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem. Judea and Samaria into the ends of the earth. So, so persecution just sent them out. And when they were sent out, even though they were persecuted, what do they do? They proclaimed the word. That's really good. Now, what happens we find is that there is this man named Saul. He was a young man and he gave approval to the stoning death of Stephen. But not only that, we find in Acts chapter 8 that he went around asking for permission to imprison Christians so that they would be further persecuted. That was the aim of his life. He even describes it later in Acts. He says that I had raging fury in my heart against those who followed Christ. That was until Jesus meets him in Acts chapter 9. And Jesus confronts him with a blinding light. Paul says it was brighter than, than the shining of the sun. He falls to the ground. Jesus says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Now, if you want to learn something about Jesus' connection with this church, Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Who was Paul persecuting? He was persecuting Jesus' people, Right? So people, if you're, if you're in Christ and people mess with you, they're messing with Jesus. Isn't that good news? And so, so he says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul says, who are you, Lord? He says, yes, I am Jesus. I'm the one whom you're persecuting, and I am going to appoint you. Listen to this. I'm going to appoint you as a service, servant and a witness to the Gentiles. Why? So that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by me in faith. So God takes this radical persecutor of the church, he turns his life upside down, and now Paul is his chosen instrument to take the gospel to people who have never heard the gospel. And what we see then throughout the book of Acts is Paul goes from city to city to city, and he Tells people about Jesus. Some believe, some, some don't believe. Isn't that how it still works today? And when those who believe uh, responded to the gospel, they were gathered together like this into a church. A church is simply a group of Jesus' followers. And they started churches, and then Paul would make sure that those churches were encouraged, and they had everything they needed to live their lives for God. That's, that's the book of Acts in a nutshell, okay? It didn't take 40 minutes. It just took about four minutes to explain to you what's happening in the book of Acts. They were a community that were unified on a mission. You remember this awesome picture that I created from last week? All right. See that? The arrows there? And they're, and they're doing life together. They're, they're sharing possessions. They're praying for one another. They're fellowshipping. They're, they're doing all these things, devoting themselves to the word. But they're on a mission to proclaim Christ. They were servants of his word. Now, what I want to do is, is this. I want to zoom in on Acts chapter 20 and look at Paul's message to this group of, of church leaders, this team of servants known as pastors in the city of Ephesus. And what he says there gives us a glimpse into what should be our heart as those who seek to serve one another, okay? So Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17. I'm going to read all the way through verse 38, all right? So follow along with me. Again, it's page 929 of the Bibles that we've provided. Luke writes this. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him, Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But... I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock of God in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being most sorrowful of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. What do we learn about serving from Paul's address to these leaders in the church of Ephesus. I mean, I hope you felt the emotion of this address. This was the last time that Paul was convinced that he was going to see them. And so, as some have said, last words are lasting words. If you have a message, it's the last time they're going to see that person. I mean, you want to make those words count, right? Right? And so Paul makes these words count, and he, he teaches them a lesson, not only with his words, but also with his example of what it means to serve in the kingdom of God. And so I want to give you three encouragements this morning about serving that I think we can take and apply immediately to our lives. Okay, number one, serving begins by being served. Serving begins by being served. Okay, this is implicit more than explicit in the text, but if we have not been served, we probably will not know how to serve others very well. You see, Paul knew what it was to be served because he had been served by the church. We I mean, you go back to Acts chapter 9 and 10, and Ananias was meeting him after he had been... Uh, Confronted by Christ, and had his life changed, and so Ananias helped him. There was a man named Barnabas whose uh, name meant encourager, and he encouraged Paul, and he worked with Paul along the way as they went about telling people about Jesus. We see the church in Antioch where Paul was was serving. Uh, they helped Paul and prayed for him, and sent him and Barnabas out to proclaim the message of Christ. And then even here in the church of Ephesus, they, were, they, they loved Paul. They cared for Paul. I mean, the list could go on and on. But the ultimate reason that Paul knew how to serve is because he had been served by Jesus. You see, if we want to have our lives, our hearts ignited to serve others, we need to be transformed by the power of Christ as we look to his cross. I don't know about you, but there are times in my life, let's just be honest here, okay, we're all friends, almost, maybe some of us just new friends, but, but we're all friends here. Um, are there any times where you just kind of get stuck in a rut, okay, don't nudge your you know, friend or, or your spouse, um, where you just get stuck in a rut of selfishness? You know what I'm saying? Just, why are you coming at me with that? I'm busy, I'm vegging out, I'm chilling out, I'm turning the phone off, that's, a, that's major by the way, um, And it's like we just don't, we don't want to give of ourselves for the sake of others. I mean, I can get so focused, like this is Pastor Tina here, I can get so focused on my time and my tasks that I really don't want to serve people as I'm serving people. Did you catch that? I mean, that's my, my job is to serve people. I would argue that whatever you do, your job is also to serve people. So isn't that ironic that we we don't want to serve people even as we're serving people? That's so twisted and messed up. But the gospel changes our hearts to want to serve others. How can we look to the cross? It is almost impossible. Think about this. It is almost impossible to look at the cross and say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to go serve that person. When we see what Christ has done for us, He gave his life on our behalf. And so now all of a sudden, we're rushing to serve someone. Hey, you you have a need? Can I go meet that need for you? That needs to be done. If I can do it, I'm on it. If I can't do it, then I got the next need that arises. That becomes our heart. The more that we meditate on the gospel, this is what a cruciform life looks like, living life in the shape of a cross. Paul would later say to the the people in Philippi, when he wrote that letter, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he says, to live is Christ. His whole life was wrapped up with Christ. So whatever he saw in Christ, he wanted to implement himself. Being served holds the power to transform our hearts. And as our hearts are changed, uh, we gladly serve others. So that's the second thing I want us to think about this morning. Serving reveals a transformed heart. Before we met Christ, our natural disposition is to want others to serve us. But now because of Jesus, we see at least three things going on here in this passage. Uh, Number one, we want to serve with others. Serving brings us into contact with other people. This is what Paul uh, heard about from the life of Christ. Jesus went about his business serving and orchestrating that business with other people. And so it's not a surprise that then we see uh, the disciples and, and the apostles like Paul pulling other people into their service like, just read Acts, Barnabas, John Mark, Silas, Timothy, Luke. But not only did Paul pull others into serving with him, he also set up teams to serve the churches. This is what he's doing in Acts chapter 20, okay? Paul didn't, didn't go, on his, he's on his way to Jerusalem, by the way, and, and he, he loves these people so much that he takes, takes a pit stop, okay, in Miletus so that he can meet, not with one pastor, but with a team of pastors. So some churches, okay, they're not hating on these churches, but some churches basically have one guy that kind of runs the show, and everyone looks to him, and he calls all the shots, and you're going to find that around here. I'm not that guy. And, and why, why am I not that guy? All right, Henry's laughing. He's like, man, because this guy ain't that good. All right? That's, that's the main reason. All right, Henry, stop laughing. Right. But, but why not? Okay, number one, this is not what we see in the New Testament. Paul's setting up elders in Ephesus. He sent Titus the Creed to set up elders, they're speaking to elders and Philemon. Just, that's, the, that's the pattern of the New Testament. But then number two, there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. You guys understand that, right? Hopefully you're not making major decisions solo. I mean, you're working with others to gain their wisdom. Number three, there's mutual encouragement through the good times and the tough times. Number four, there is effectiveness in ministry. Two are better than one. Three are better than two. You, you see how that works? And then also related to that, a plurality of pastor leaders have a multitude of gifts. So um, if you come to kind of one of our, of our uh, gatherings that we'll kind of share more about redemption, John Chastain, one of our pastors, is notorious for saying, we have multiple pastors to round out all of Tanner's weaknesses. And he's basically right. <laughs> so so we, we serve as a team, and, and listen to this, we have fun serving as a team. We have a good time. We really like one another. We laugh together. We share meals together. We tell stories together. We even poke fun at one another, right? Because who's having fun if you're not making fun of one another a little bit? And so, I mean, this is just kind of, and why do we do this? Because we are friends, and we are family, and we are a team. We have one another's back. And what we hope happens in our church, and this is happening in our church, is that what we exemplify as best we can as elders who don't work always in perfect harmony, All right, but we're we're striving to have one mind and one heart for the sake of the gospel to work together. What we want to see happen as pastors is that to trickle down to our groups, to our teams, to every facet of our church. It's a joy to serve together. We want to... We want to because of Jesus. We want to serve with others. But then number two, we want to love others as we serve. One of the most simple verses in the Bible that speaks of this is Galatians 5.13 that simply says, through love, serve one another. Can Can you take those five words and just kind of put them into your mind today? Maybe let them drip down into your heart. Through love, serve one another. This is the life that we're called to. Some people have called this the sacrifice of a shared life. When Jesus wrecks our lives in the most beautiful of ways, he begins to give us these strange desires where we want to sacrifice for the good of those around us, where we're willing to give up our time, give up our treasure, give up our talents, what we're good at so that other people can flourish around us. See, love moves us to serve with diligence and intensity. We'll look back at verses 18 through 21. What, is, what does Paul say here? So he's like, yeah, look, you know how I lived. And, and, I, and from the whole time, the first day that I set foot in Asia, this is what I did. I served the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. In verse 20, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus. So so you see, Paul, just how comprehensive his service was. He says, man, I'm I'm going after all people here, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Greek, which is non-Jews, which covers everyone. Okay, Paul was going after all people. Uh, When was he serving? Uh, he He was serving night and day. Where he's saying I'm, I'm out in public teaching these things, and then I'm going from house to house, so that people can hear the message of Christ. Love is willing to break a sweat, and why is love willing to break a sweat? Here's why. Remember last week. What what are we what are we after here? We're after a miracle. <laughs> I love that. I'm gonna like every week I can. I'm just gonna. It's a miracle to become like Christ. When someone receives the gospel and God starts changing their lives day by day, they're transforming the one degree of glory to the next into the same image of Christ. And so I I gotta tell you, and you've seen it life, this doesn't happen by snapping our fingers, right? It takes work. Paul talks about it in, in Galatians 3 as if he is... He is in the labor and delivery room and a hospital. Now, we at Redemption Hill, this has been an abnormal scene. We've seen 10 ladies, I think. I just like lost count by now. Okay, 10 ladies who have birthed babies just over like the past month and a half. That's, that's crazy, all right? And they could, they could tell you that birthing a child is no walk in the park. I mean, any, any mother, any, if you've ever been like, I'm not a mom but I've been in the labor and delivery room, okay? There is is anguish and intensity and sweat and tears as well as joy and celebration that happens there. And so what Paul says is is this in Galatians 3.19, I am in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I'm just like, I'm I'm willing to give of myself to to lay it all on the line until you become more like Jesus. That's the heart of those who serve. We give it all we have as God changes our hearts so that their hearts might become more like him. And this doesn't even include, by the way, we saw verses uh, 33 and 34 that Paul was a tent maker, all right, he wasn't getting paid by the church of Ephesus. Okay, so he went into towns like Ephesus and Corinth and, and he just worked with his hands. He made tents. That doesn't mean that he didn't receive gifts from churches at times. It doesn't mean that that, that wasn't a, a common practice in the life of a church. It certainly was. But at, Paul, at times, Paul would sacrifice that right, as he calls it in 1 Corinthians 9, so that, so that people couldn't say he's doing it for any other reason than just to proclaim the gospel. And so Paul had a whatever it takes mentality. He was willing to work hard. But, but not, only, not only that was true physically, it was also true emotionally. Look at verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears. Verse 31. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. Verse 36, and when they had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced and kissed Paul, uh, being most sorrowful of all that they would not see his face again. What is the common denominator in these descriptions? Tears. I mean, Paul's heart was in this. He made himself vulnerable to these people. He had such a deep compassion for them. Their hearts were so knit together that that his life, as he would say to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, just go read it, he would say, man, my life is bound up with your life. If you're doing well, I'm doing well. And so there was emotion in his serving. There There was care that was going on as Paul served these people. And so we we shouldn't forget that Paul served there for three years. Okay, We can extend love on the spot, and we should, but love builds over time, which is an incentive, by the way, to do just a countercultural thing, and that is to, to stay at the same church, to hang with the same group of people, even when people start to get on your nerves. I mean, if you hang out with anybody long enough, they're going to get on your nerves. There are going to be some friction along the way. And yet, we love one another through those times. Love builds over times. Our whole heart is in this thing. But we don't want to simply serve with others and love others. We want to do this with integrity and passion. I love Paul begins and he just says, you, you know me. You know how I live from the first day I stepped foot onto your soil. You know my life. I served with humility. I I gave it all I had. So Paul had integrity. There was sincerity in his life. There was no physical or spiritual adultery in the life of Paul. And we can be thankful for that even as we see that ravaging families and even churches with this whole Ashley Madison scandal. We should pray for one another. We should support families that are going through difficulty and brokenness, remembering that we are just a few moments of idiocy from that same sin, all of us. But Paul had integrity in his service. He was faithful to God. He was faithful to them. And he understood that we can't serve others effectively unless we're watching over our own life. So he says in verse 28, what does he say? Pay attention to yourselves and to the flock of God over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So so we can't care for others. We can't serve others effectively unless we are paying careful attention to our own lives as well. Paul's integrity was the result of his devotion to Christ as was his passion. So we want to serve with integrity, but but we also want to serve with some passion. Look back at verse 24, one of my favorite verses ever since I was a kid in the Bible that says, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Don't you love Paul's passion and zeal? I Man, one thing, this is what I'm after here. I'm running hard so that people can know Christ. I mean, I love our college students. Our college students are trickling back into the city, all right? And I think hopefully they can identify with this kind of, uh, you know, sentiment here. This is what I pray for you, by the way. Our college students that are around, grad students, are like, we're, we're young. I'm pretty young still. Thank you very much. And, and so I've hopefully got this kind of passion too. But, but what I love here, think about this. Was Paul kind of at the beginning or more at the end of his life in ministry? At the end, right? And so there's a story of this, this, this man that was well into his 80s. It was, he loved Christ. He had been devoted to him his whole uh, life, basically, and, and he was serving in the church. And he, he got up into his 80s, and people would kind of come up to him and say, like, look, man, like, you've served so well, why don't you just kind of step back? Like, why don't you let the young people stack the chairs and the young people, you know, kind of fill your shoes now? And, and you know what his response was? I love this. He said, um, "Shall I not run with all my might now that I see the finishing line in view?" Man, I love that. Give me that kind of spirit when I'm when I'm not 34 but 84. I'm going hard for Jesus because He went hard for me. I'm going to give Him all I've got. This is the one thing that I'm after here. Nothing compares to this. So that we can stare suffering in the face and not care about our physical comfort because Jesus is better than that. When we understand That serving reveals a transformed heart. And because Jesus has, is, and will continue to transform us. Here's what I want to do today. This is super practical here today. I want to invite, if you are like around Medford, around Redemption Hill Church, right? I want to invite you to serve with us on a team. This is point 2B. All right, I've never done this before, but it was going to go 2B today, all right? Serve with a team. Now, we want to have a serving culture at our church. And so one of our dreams as pastors, over which the Holy Spirit has made us over two years of the flock, to care for you like that, uh, is our dream is that we want everyone to connect with a group and serve with a team. Now, most of our teams do their thing on Sundays. And, and why, why Sunday? Okay, well, number one, is, it's, 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 it's one of the, the moments where we have the most needs going on. We're a church plant, we don't own our home facility, so we have to set up and tear down and do this and do that. All right, so there are a lot of needs on Sundays. But, but why is Sunday such a big deal? Well, Sundays are where we encounter together the greatness of God. Sundays are the time together where we extol, that means lift up, the greatness of God. We believe Sundays is is really the one hour that will radically change if we are humble and open to it. it. It has the power to affect the other 167 hours of our week. That's what we believe about Sundays. And so that is why we want to extend the grace of hospitality to every person God sends our way and serve them really, really well. I mean, we don't like hang these banners and put out these books and, you know, get these screens up and, you know, for for no good reason. No, we believe that whenever God sends someone our way, whether you're here for the first time, which I know is I want to meet you afterwards if you have just a couple minutes here and I can't wait to meet you, uh, or if you're here for the hundredth time, okay, We believe that every Sunday God has the power to alter someone's eternity forever. Not to mention your tomorrow. That that's that's Jesus, that's Christianity. He changes our forever and he changes our now. And so that's why we work hard. That's why we give of ourselves. That's why we serve on teams on Sunday. So what about you? Are you ready to serve with a team? Next Sunday is our move to the Chevalier Theater, and it's exciting because we have some new opportunities to serve. Some of our teams will change and shift. Some of our needs will, will kind of shrink, and some of our needs will grow. There are new positions that we're creating so that we can maximize that opportunity to serve and so consider your, your life. Consider how you have been uniquely created by God to, to serve for the good of those around you. I mean, you have gifts that I don't have. You have interests and abilities that I don't have. You have experiences that you bring to the table that can help make our Sundays great as we seek to serve our city and serve those around us that I don't have. And so it takes all of us serving together. What are some of our teams? Let me just toss them out there. Transformation Station, this is our kids' ministry, all right? One of our goals, and this I think is a good goal, is that we hope that every Sunday people, uh, or I'm sorry, every month people will basically serve one Sunday. That's the goal, all right? So we're, we're not trying to overburden people, all right? We think it's a good rhythm to serve and then to rest and just to be here to worship, interact with others, and not be serving every Sunday. So our goal is that one Sunday a month, everyone is serving with a team. Now, to get there, right, at Transformation Station, because we're going to amp up our children's ministry and make it as, as good as we possibly can, and because we have those mothers that are on maternity leave, we try to take care of our volunteers around here at Redemption Hill, all right? We need 25 people to step up and serve with... Our children's ministry to get to that place where we have one Sunday a month rotation happening. And you say, like, man, that sounds crazy. Can we get there? Absolutely. We can get there. And I would just say this, and, and and I am one, right? If you're a parent and your kids have benefited from what happens in Transformation Station, would you consider being one of the first to sign up along with the many others who love kids or like kids or think, you know, I can teach or I can be an assistant teacher to help these kids have a great don't you love children? Man, I mean, you will laugh more back there than you will in here. I'm not that funny. Kids are hilarious. Lots of fun in Transformation Station. What else? First impression. We need some dynamic people, all right? We need some people, as one of my friends like to say, who are in the spreading smiles business, all right? Spread some smiles around here. We need people who are ready to greet, ready to do their thing with ushering, help with setup. We need additions on our parking team. Okay, you don't have to spread too many smiles to do that. Um, We need people to help execute next, which is going to be replacing our newcomer's reception later this month, once a month roughly. So there are all kinds of opportunities to serve. What about our praise team? Do you have percussion skills? Do you play the bass or maybe the acoustic guitar? Has God gifted you with a beautiful voice? Can you play the keys? I always wanted to play the keys. By the way, I saw a Facebook video last night of one of my friends playing Piano Man. And his son with the harmonica, which would be even cooler if I could play that. It was awesome. But I can't do that. I can't serve to sign up to play the keys on Sundays. But maybe some of you can. To take a Sunday or two a month and and, and be up here with Micah and the crew. Maybe, maybe you want to serve with Seth on, on the audiovisual team. Help set up. help Help make... Uh, it happened on Sundays from, from that regard. Or our venue team that helps with setup and tear down. There are all kinds of needs. No matter how God has, has uniquely created you and gifted you, there is a place. We can even work with your crazy schedule, believe it or not. We have some people that are really organized. Again, not my greatest shape or gift. All right? I couldn't organize my way of a paper bag before I became a church planter. Now I'm like getting out of the bag, but that's about it. Um, but, but we can figure that out. We can help you serve with a team. Now let me end with this. When we serve others with love for the sake of Christ, you know what happens? Verse 35 happens. Serving results in great reward. Look at at what Paul says that Jesus said in verse 35. He says this. We remember the the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said what? What? It is more blessed to give than receive. Is is it a blessing to receive? Yes. But Jesus says it is more of a blessing to give than to receive. And so Christians should be known. If we're known by anything, we should be known by having a giving mentality. I want to encourage us to begin to have a more mentality as a church to operate with a more mentality. That we would say here's the irony here this irony will change your life by the way okay when we when we uh, give we actually what we receive So if if you give and you say, hey, I'm willing to, you know, we aren't going to be stuck in our chairs. I can't even look at the chairs now because we have chairs upstairs. We have other things to do, all right? Um, When we set up some signs and when we get at our welcome table when we get there at a guest service and we shake people's hands and we set up the coffee, all right, and we do the parking signs out there, like when we strum a guitar, when we open the word, we are saying more, 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 more for them and consequently more for us. It's more blessed to give than receive. So every time you lift your finger to serve with a heart for Christ, you are going to receive more. I want to get in on that. It's the joy of my life to serve other people. It's the joy of my life to serve God because there is reward there. Yes, we do it motivated for the glory of God, motivated to point to how great he is, motivated for the good of others that they might flourish, but... But, but we don't get left out of the equation, right? We don't get left out. God blesses us as we serve. So let me invite us today to serve our great God and to serve our great city. Will you consider serving with a team today at our church? Because when we do, we make it happen offer for God and his glory and for the good of all people. And we are in on that more. Let's pray. God, thank you for this word. It's a word we don't deserve. God, that you would give us more is just the easiest thing for you. You are far more delighted to give than we are to receive. And so, God, thank you for how we see that in the cross of Christ. The man of sorrows who was beaten for us, he was mocked for us, he was spit upon for us. He shed his blood for us that we might have life. Father, we say thank you for that. Thank you for that example. Thank you for that life that you've given us. Thank you for that transformation that you bring to our lives so that we want to give ourselves away for the sake of others. And Father, I pray that you would remove any barrier to serving. God, it's not just serving in Redemption Hill, it's serving in our homes, it's serving in our workplaces, it's serving in our neighborhoods. God, we just want to be a serving people because you're a serving God. And so, Lord, would you move us to serve others? Lord, I do pray. We have needs in the church. We have this awesome opportunity with the the theater coming next week. And so I pray for our teams. I pray for Transformation Station and what's happening with our kids' ministry. And I pray that people would be uh, just moved to sign up to serve. I pray for our band, I pray for our audio-visual, I pray for our First Impressions crew, I pray for our venue team, God, would you move us to serve and and to serve together, to enjoy it just as we already are. God, you are awesome, and we love you, and we look forward to how you are going to work in our lives.